Thank you, Chief. Shout out to God. 
Lord. I, I have preached. I've changed somewhat what I've preached. Some of this I've preached before, taught before. But I, I was seeking God for tonight, and, and I... <laughs> You know, it's odd, but as you as you get to be, if you preach for any length of time, you uh, sometimes start looking for something sensational, and you forget what's really important. And I, I talked to, um, I talked to someone today, and and uh, they made a, a minister friend of mine, and he made a statement at the art conference in Indianapolis that. Um, most of the preaching was done about the coming of the Lord. And it was just like, for all that we're doing, we need to, as close as we are to the coming of the Lord, we need to renew the basics. And and that's the truth. And as I was praying today, it just kept coming back to me, really the basis of it all is the cross. And you can never, ever, ever go wrong preaching the cross. You can never preach the cross too much. You can never study the cross too much. You can never allow God to reveal to you exactly what the meaning of the cross is enough. Uh, And I am going to just talk to you tonight, preach to you about the foolish cross. And if you would with me, turn to 1 Corinthians 1. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27. If I can read, I've had, uh, I've had my glasses redone again. And I think every time they redo my glasses, they change my prescription. And uh, instead of giving me the same one, 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. I want to read verse 28 as well. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. In verse 29, again, it's not behind me, but if you turn there, I want to look at verse 29 again. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Many years ago, I went to a conference in Maryland. And in that conference, it was Chester Wright, and he um, he kept... He got on that verse of Scripture. I'll never forget it because it was like it was a conference. It was all preachers, and he got on that verse of Scripture. And he continued to read it and reread it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And his analogy simply was this, that how and when are we, and this, this was the ministers, but I can say the same thing to, I think, any church member. When, how and when are we going to get past flesh glorying in his presence? Because you go again, what I just read above that, 
God had chosen foolish things, base things, if you would, to confound the mighty. And he said that no flesh should glory in his presence. How much do we do that allows flesh to glory in his presence? Because regardless of how much we figure this out, until we get that one down, we're never going to go very far. We're never going to go as far as we would like to. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of, or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Again, I'm going to read more than I, you'll see. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Put your Bibles down if you have them. Close your eyes and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your touch, your goodness, your mercy. I praise you, Jesus, that you can help us tonight to get past Lord, that uh, uh, the desires of our flesh and to come into the place where the Spirit of God can be that which guides us and directs us in everything. Help us, God, to humble ourselves before you more than we ever have before. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> to preach the cross is easy. There's nothing hard about it. It gets preached quite often. But to be a crucified person, preaching the cross is not easy. A person who desires to preach the cross should adapt, or let me, let me rephrase that, adopt the way of the cross first. You'll never be able to preach the cross or describe the cross or teach about the cross until you can adopt the way of the cross. Only then will people see what happened on the cross in you. Only in that manner will they be able to understand what truly happened on the cross when they can see the cross in you. So often... What we preach is indeed the cross, but our attitudes, our words, and our feelings do not seem to ever bear witness to what we preach. And this is because much of the preaching of the cross is not done in the spirit of the cross. Because only a crucified person preaches the message of the cross in the spirit of the cross. You cannot preach the cross adequately unless you have spent some time on the cross. I suppose this past week for me has been a, a time of, I told my wife and I got back, I said, I feel like 
in my own way. And not that I didn't enjoy myself. I certainly did. But I, I went into my wilderness of temptation, if you would. It seemed like everything for the last two years, one particular evening, about starting at about 6 o'clock, I, it, it began to hit me. It, it was like someone was, was showing a movie in my mind. And everything for the last two years that has bothered me just came before me. I had the devil come to me, literally come to me, and say, why don't you just quit? Why don't you give it up? You're a failure. But in the midst of all that, I can't tell you that I got total victory. I can't say I came out of the wilderness totally victorious, but I came out of the wilderness knowing why I am in the position that I'm in, understanding why I'm enduring what I am. And it all comes down to what I am going to preach to you tonight, because it's going to take, in the last days, in the last few minutes, it's going to take crucified people preaching about the cross in order for it to have any benefit. It's not just good enough to go out and be able to win somebody to God by giving them good thoughts or being able just to talk to them or get to their level. It's going to take much more than that because people can they, they can understand you. They can make, make sense to them. But until they see the crucifixion in your heart, until what you have shows them what Jesus endured, they're never going to last. They're never going to be able to follow you. People are looking for something that is real. And real, my friend, is crucifixion. Real is the cross. Real is not just a person being able to describe it or going to Bible school. Real is a crucified life. You know, the cross is the wisdom of God manifested in such a way that it appears as foolishness to the unbelieving world. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Thus, if we're, we're, we're to be fools for Christ, we, we should proclaim the foolish message while assuming the foolish way and adopting the foolish attitude and using the foolish words, if you would. Because the failure of people to receive life must be the failure of those who preach. It's not that the world has lost its power. It is men who have failed, men who have, have hindered the outflow of the life of God. How can we give to other people what we ourselves do not have? If I don't have this kind of life living in me, I have no business standing before you. But I understand more than I ever have before. You don't do this overnight. You don't do this in just a few years. You don't do this with just a, a, a little bit of training here and there. It takes a, nearly a lifetime for you to be able to understand what crucifixion is all about. It takes water running over the rocks. I thought that was a great analogy. James talked to Lee Stone King and he said, I'd like to be able to learn from you. And he said, if I was to teach you, it'd be like water running over rocks. James kind of asked me what that meant. And I said, well, he's going to take off the rough edges, but something else. It takes a whole lot of years to smooth out a rock. A lot of water running over it in order to smooth it out. It doesn't just happen overnight. It takes your wilderness time. It takes your time. You want to be a Christian? You want to be a true Christian? You want to be able to say that you are Christ-like? It's going to take time and crucifixion. It's going to take a cross. It's going to take a wilderness. It's going to take a Gethsemane. Unless the cross becomes our life, we cannot impart that life to others. 
the failure of our work is due to the fact that we're, we're eager to preach the cross without the cross being within us. The cross we preach to others should first crucify us. I cannot preach it unless I'm first crucified. We can't give what we don't have. And if all we have is thoughts, we can give only thoughts. However, what people lack are not thoughts, but what people lack is life. People don't want good thoughts. They want a life. They want a life that is real. They want a life that they can have confidence in. They want to know they're going to make it to heaven. They want to know that God that we talk about is truly able to deliver them. They want to know that the God that we talk about is the one that can take him all the way through the grave and past. They want to know that. Not just coming into the church to find a woman, to find a man, to find a social group, but to come in and find a cross. John 14 and verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. The do of the Scripture is not the doing with our own strength. It is instead allowing the Spirit to live out the Word of the Lord through us. That is the do of the Scripture. Not doing it on our own. Not the ability just to, to get out there and, and, and to muddle through with our own abilities, but it's something more. It's the strength of God that works in us that makes a difference. Now when Jesus was lifted up on the cross for the sake of giving spiritual life to men, if we desire to cause people to have spiritual life, we too must be lifted up on the cross so the Spirit of God can flow out of us as well. When who, whoever does not know the death of the cross does not have the life of the cross for other people. You can't have the life of the cross to give to someone else unless you have first died on the cross. It starts where it began, if you would. When Adam tasted the forbidden fruit of disobedience. You see, I've often wondered what the fruit was in the garden. I've had people argue it was an apple, it was a peach, it was a pear, it was a plum, it was a kumquat, whatever it was. But it wasn't. The forbidden fruit was disobedience. The tree of life gave the fruit of obedience. That's Robertson theology. You can go and find it if you want, but that's, that's what I believe. In the beginning, Adam's obedience held death at bay, locked it out of the earthly realm. Adam's sin opened the lock and allowed death to walk right in through the door of his failure, bringing with it the generational curse of sin on all his offspring. The curse murdered Abel outside the garden. It drowned men and women and children in the flood. It raped Dinah and plucked out Samson's eyes. It left Lot drunk and his daughters molested. It emasculated the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it burned little babies in sacrifice in the hungry arms of the demonic deities Molech, Astarte, and Baal. And that consuming fire of sin and death burned out of control all the way to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And there the flames of hell encountered one who could not be consumed. Aren't you glad you know him? He broke the curse and forever destroyed the power that disobedience had unleashed. Jesus broke the curse on the splinters of the cross. That's how he broke it. You don't have to live under the curse any longer. You don't have to be a part of what this world is. You don't have to be a part of what the devil has to offer you because Jesus broke the back of the curse on the splinters of the cross. Praise God. And because of that, 
we can know the life of the cross as well as its death. Having a death of cross, we, we die to sin in our old nature. But having the life of the cross, we, we daily live in the spirit of the cross. It, it is only as the cross is allowed to burn into our hearts through the fire of suffering and adversity that we'll be able to see it reproduced in the hearts of other people. You see, be careful of what you pray for. Always be careful of asking God to make you a soul winner because what He'll do is put you on a cross. Because that's the only way to burn in His life into your heart is to be on that cross. And that's the only way people are really going to be drawn to you. It's when they feel that life that you have inside of you. When they know it and they know that you're real. You're not just another preacher out there trying to do something and he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. They want somebody that's got the life of Jesus Christ inside of them. You see, that's what the Holy Ghost should really be to us. In the eyes of the world... The cross is something humble, lowly, foolish, despicable. And to preach it with excellent speech and the wisdom of the world is completely contradictory to its spirit and cannot in any way be of any avail. Philippians 1.18 does this, hey this, it says, what then? Paul speaking to the Philippian church, he said, Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, and I will rejoice. Paul rejoiced that Christ was preached even in pretense. It's still he's preached. And you have a world that's out there preaching Jesus Christ in pretense. But when they meet one person who's got the life of the cross inside of them, one person who has been on that cross and they know what it's like to feel. They know what it's like to feel the pain and the nails driven into them. They know what it's like then. Then they're going to be drawn to what truth really is. No matter what, folks, and we can do it all and I want to do it all. I want to have nice big billing. I want to have good programs. I want all of that. But if they don't have some people in this church that have the cross in their hearts... It's never going to work unless you have somebody in there teaching Bible studies that know what it's like to be nailed to a cross. It's not going to work. Don't feel too bad when things are not going well because it's a cross that God has put on you. I should have saved this for a Sunday night, but I felt it tonight. I don't know. Maybe I've just got the right people in here this evening. Whatever work is done... By depending on our natural life is mostly in vain. But work performed in the power of supernatural life bears much fruit. Death is the indispensable process of fruit bearing. Death is the only way that you're ever going to really bear fruit. John twelve twenty four and 25, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, but he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And if we aren't bearing the spiritual fruits, if the gifts are, the gifts are not being manifest in our services, it's evident that we're trying to achieve Pentecost without Calvary. We, can't, we cannot and never will realize this in our lives unless we are crucified. We need to die. We can't see it until we die. So we, so we go to conferences and we go to revival services and we have near-death experiences. 
and hope we can see enough to push us on into total death. But oftentimes we don't take the last stages and we go from one to the other and we go to the next revival and we have another near-death experience and we go to the next conference and we have another near-death experience, but we don't quite get there. But I'm convinced that regardless, it takes more than conferences and revivals to bring you to total death to self. It takes an experience that only God can give you. You may get that near-death experience. You may understand the direction you need to go at a conference or a revival. A preacher might preach the right message, but until you take it and grab it and say, this, this is for me, I've got, to, I've got to do this. And I've got to get down to the front. I've got to get down to the altar. And it may be an all-nighter in the church or an all-nighter in my, in my front room or something, but I've got to find this now. Until you do this, you'll always... Be on the edge. Until you've faced your temptation in the wilderness. Until you have faced it yourself. Until you understand what Jesus went through. Until you know what it's like for Judas to come up and give you a kiss of betrayal. For those of you that have felt that and you're holding bitterness in your heart, get rid of it. It's God's love trying to bring you to a a death experience. Sometimes... For the revelation, <laughs> I'm, let me rephrase that. Sometimes, sometimes the revelation comes when we exhaust our natural strength. Sometimes it takes us working so hard, trying to make it happen ourselves, that we get right at the end of our physical strength until we are just down to nothing and we don't know how we're going to go another step. Then God takes over. You've heard it said, when we get to the end of ourselves and God takes over. But until you truly get to the end of your physical strength, when you quit, it's not when you quit, it's when you can't go any further. When you can't give one more. You cannot do one more thing. Then God comes in and you begin to operate in His strength. And all that time and the hours and days and weeks that you spent trying to do something, God accomplishes in minutes. Why can't we do this without getting to the end of our physical strength? Why can't we trust God before? And we've got to learn experientially how to depend on the power of the Spirit life. You know, we have to. And then, then we can bear fruit. Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty nine, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The word life in the Scripture means the seed of feelings, desires, affections, the soul. Now, did you hear what I just said? I want you to find this. The seed of feelings, desires, affections, the soul. We must lose all of the above, even the control of the soul, in order to truly find it. Sometimes we try to control our soul, the seed of our emotions, and we try to control all that. And God says, I want you to give it all to me, even the control of your emotions. And what comes out of a, a mind that is controlled by our desires and our affections will only reach the minds of other people. 
If it's controlled by my knowledge, by my, my abilities, then what comes is, is it's only reaching the minds of other people. And that's what's happened for so long in our churches. We've, we've somehow impressed the minds of people. Why can't we impress the, the soul man, the spiritual man? And it'll never touch their spirit or their life when you just touch the mind of a person. We must let the cross work in us to make us willing to deliver ourselves daily to death, making no provision for the flesh to fulfill the desires thereof. No confidence in the natural man, but total faith in the spirit that is in us. Only then will we see the, the life of God and his power flowing into our lives, spirits through our and, and spirits through through our words. You know, along with this we must realize in our hearts that Satan is a defeated foe. Regardless, you have to realize and know. And when I felt the devil come to me, while I was up there and, and began to tell me how worthless everything was and how useless everything was. I realized almost instantly that he is a defeated foe, and I told him that. You're defeated. You know, you can't do anything to me. I realize my time, and I realize what I'm dealing with here. And each and every one of us will have to go through that, or maybe you already have gone through it. And maybe it's a continual thing with you. But eventually you're going to have to stand up and say, you cannot do anything against me. You have already been defeated. The blood of Jesus Christ stands against you. Do not allow yourself to fall into that trap where he makes you think you are nothing. You are everything because of what's inside of you. You have got everything, and you've got within you through the Spirit of God the ability to do anything. He can't stop us. He can make suggestions. And we can listen. Or we can remind Him of His place. We, we must also realize in our hearts the way of salvation is not in God making us good, but in His saving us out of Adam and putting us into Christ. And, and this should be our reality. For when we are in Adam or in the flesh, we practice sin. But when we are in Christ, in the Spirit, we practice righteousness. We keep waiting on God to change us. But what God does is tell us to put on Christ. Jesus Christ is God. The works of God, the law of God was accomplished in Jesus Christ, the God-man. We put on Christ through the baptism of the water and the Spirit. When we do that, then we can receive what He has already done. And by believing it, you can have it. You can possess it by taking hold of it in Christ. Quit asking God to change you so you can have spiritual ministry. Instead, remind yourself that you have put on Christ. You have the gift of the Holy Ghost. Quit asking God to do what He's already done. Don't stand with your hand out. Rather, take hold. And if we're in Christ, then all that is Christ is ours. It's not a matter which too much of people standing or getting in the altar with their hand out said, God, give me, give me. When God says, I've already given it to you, why don't you take your hand and get a hold of what has already been done in your life. You've got the power in the Holy Ghost. You've got the ministry. You've got to take hold of it. You know, the victorious life that I see is actually something I already possess. I don't know how Many years you have to serve God to get to the point where you don't walk around in frustration, fear, thinking you can never 
You're not even going to make it. You can never have what you feel like God wants you to have. And you read the Bible and you know what God has for you. And you know what is the desire for His church. And yet you never feel good enough. You know, you did something wrong today. And you, and you go through your process of thinking that God is not going to do anything in your life because you're chiefest of sinners. We never will understand. Though I keep hoping that one day I will. The power of the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. I'm not perfect. I don't care how many years that I live for God. The blood still, I still need the blood. No matter how long I go, how tall I grow, I still need the blood. And when you begin to think that you're, you're, you're perfect, that's when you're in the biggest mess. I make mistakes. I go through bad things. I sin sometimes. But I still trust in the power of the blood. And until I really understand that completely, I'm going to find myself in a total and complete frustrated life the rest of my life. I have got to do the best I can and trust God for the rest of it. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying this evening? Let's give him a good hand clap of praise. You know, as people and sons of God, we we must be obedient. Without the obedience in Gethsemane, there could have not have been the death of Calvary. And many people flee from the face of the cross because they've not done well in their consecration in the garden. It takes the consecration in order for us to go to the cross. Many of us think that we've been to the cross, but we've gotten off of it pretty quick. We've never really gone through the complete process. It's more than just refraining from sinning. We should overcome death and be filled with life. John 6, 63, paraphrasing, Whatever is of the flesh is death, and whatever is of the Spirit is life. And when the Holy Spirit is stirred in our hearts and we're walking in it, it changes God's Word from dead letters to vibrant promises. Now, the acceptance of truth and the power of the mind means receiving it directly from a... a, a directly from a book, a teacher, or the Bible, while bypassing the Holy Ghost. This is the reason denominations are birthed. Because it's, it's the book, a teacher, the Bible, and this is an acceptance of a truth and the power of a mind. And there is truth in every denomination. Not complete truth, but there is truth. But they accept that truth through the power of the mind, bypassing the Holy Ghost. The Pharisees knew the Scriptures directly in this way. Hence what they possessed was something that was dead because there was no life through the Spirit. Denominations, birth churches are dead when that happens. I want you to tell you something. I'm going to go one step further. Pentecostal churches can do the same thing. They can take and bypass the Holy Ghost. And what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is this. You can come down here, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and live the rest of your life bypassing it. You can have it right in here and put it off in the corner somewhere, bypass it. That's why you have a prayer life. That's why you worship. Now, let me say that again. That's why you worship. You activate that. Then when God gives you revelation, it comes through the Spirit. It comes through the Holy Ghost. You have got to worship God. I don't care how you do it. You just got to do it. 
Because that activates what's there. If you just stand back and analyze everything, you're bypassing the Holy Ghost. You become something that is mind, all in the mind, and you become dead. Not dead in the way that we need it. We need to die to the flesh. What you become dead to is dead in the spirit. And then churches begin to just sit there and people just, they, they become nothing greater than any denomination out there that doesn't move. God help us never to become that. Again, the Pharisees knew the scriptures. And they knew it directly in this way. And hence what they possessed was something dead, something void of any living experience with God. The result was that they did not recognize the author of the book, though he stood in front of them. The very author of the book that they studied was standing in front of them, and they didn't recognize it because they bypassed the Spirit. That's why when you don't worship and you're not spiritual-minded, you don't have a prayer life, when God comes down and speaks to you, you don't recognize it. And you're seeking it through the mind, but not the spirit. You're waiting for someone to come, and you're, you ask, you know, you ask Brother Gillespie, come give me a word from God. Well, God's already gave you a word. But you bypassed it. You didn't recognize it because you just sat there waiting for it instead of worshiping the one that can give it. Whatever emanates from the spirit is of faith. Whatever emanates from the flesh is dead works. It's always better to wait for the Lord's command through the Spirit and obtain a net full of fish in one casting than to work all night in the flesh and accomplish nothing. We already have the command to preach the gospel to every creature. That same book that gives this command also says that he will confirm his word with signs following. If we do it in this order, we'll fill the nets. It's got to be in God's order. The most perilous situation in the church today is that so many of its leaders are in high places because of their natural talents rather than their spirituality. You have to have the spirituality. You know, we can... I've seen people that have been so spiritual that, and you know, I would go through the earthly good business, but I've seen people that are so spiritual that they weren't able to deal with any carnality whatsoever. It was so far below them that they could not deal with it because it wasn't to their level. They could only handle things on their level. But true spirituality, biblical spirituality, is being able to recognize a brother that is in need and meet the needs of that brother. That's true spirituality. And until... Until we learn that little simple fact, I don't care how high you grow, you're never going to be the spiritual person you'd like to be. You've got to be able to deal in every area. You've got to be balanced. That's what, uh, there again, what's across? It's, it's a balancing act, isn't it? You know, you've got your arms outstretched, balanced, body in the center, arm on either side. It's a balancing act. Spiritual versus humanity both have to come together to the center where Jesus' body is where the body there has to be the balance the fulcrum was Jesus you know I have to be able to deal with people but I also have to maintain a spiritual relationship and it all comes together 
on Jesus. And it will always come together on Him. The Bible says that we are His body. So then the responsibility falls on the church. Sometimes in understanding what crucifixion is, is understanding what our responsibilities are versus what His responsibilities are. But in reality, a whole lot, everything that Jesus does on this earth, He's going to do through His body. We just have to learn to depend on Him when we are doing the work that He wants us to do. Where is the end of of my effort versus my doing as far as I know that I need to go, then stopping? The worst enemy that you have when it comes to this is other people, especially in a ministry. Other people will come to you, why don't you do something? I have done something. You don't know what I've done. And you push me and you push me to keep doing when in reality God has told me to leave it alone. So what do you do? You go in in the flesh and you mess up what God would have taken care of had you stayed away from it. What is a spiritual person? A person that looks to God, waits on God, and depends on God and is a spiritual person. When, God, when doing God's work, it is not a question of what is being done, but rather from where did the work originate, our flesh or our spirit? If you touch God, you can cause other people to touch Him as well. But if you touch only the mind, you cause people to touch only you. And as soon as the Word of God enters, you can immediately distinguish between what touches just the soul, the mind, and what is spirit. We have in us God's Spirit and judgment that is through His Spirit, which is much sharper than human judgment. In Deuteronomy 8 and 2, it says this. This is a great scripture. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in the heart, whether thou wouldest keep His commandments or no. The lesson of the journey... In the wilderness is that we might know ourselves. God allows us to be defeated to bring us to the place of recognizing our sins and our failures. And after we are saved, God takes us step by step into a deeper knowledge of ourselves, our motives. And so we can and see and reject our own self-righteousness. We have to be able to see what's us and what's God. We have to see our self-righteousness. And only in the wilderness can you see that. Only when you're put in a position... Where everything's going wrong, can you really see what you are? Can you really see how much you depend on God and how much you try to make something happen through your own strength? This is what God was teaching the Israelites. He wants to work on us until we are completely delivered from self. Now, it's, it's difficult to see self as it really is. To know oneself is to be deprived of glory. To deny oneself is to make oneself suffer. And because we are so unwilling to have such self-knowledge, the Holy Ghost is not able to reveal our true character. And as a result, the Lord is forced to use some painful means to make us know ourselves. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was told that what was going to happen to him. But he still went his way. Regardless of what the prophet said to him, he still did what he wanted to do. And for seven years, he ate grass. Now, after seven years of letting his nails grow out like an eagle's claws and eating grass like a, like a cow, he came to himself and he began to recognize and worship the true God of heaven. But it took seven years for this to occur. 
You know, the problem with us is we go back to the Garden of Eden. And I can say this in particular to men tonight. When Adam ate of the fruit of disobedience, it says that he recognized first that he was naked. Then he hid himself. You see, it takes, when we get to that point, God making ourselves naked of everything. And we hide as a result of when God is trying to expose us to ourselves. We try to hide ourselves. We try to hide from our responsibilities. We try to hide from our families. We try to hide from, from what, what uh, our God-given responsibilities and dedication should be. We hide from it. We're afraid of, because of lack of self-esteem or whatever it may be. We can't really do what we need to do. God has given us a chance. He stripped us naked so that we can see ourselves, but we run and hide from Him. The one, the only one that can reveal to us what we really need to do. We hide from it. I said men are especially bad at this. You know, I don't think, I really don't think, and I know, and I know that in both cases there's wrongs done, but I really don't think that women understand why men do what they do. It's because they're hiding themselves. Why do men hide themselves and, or get these hobbies and spend a lot of money doing this or doing that? It's because they're hiding themselves. A lot of times they're just simply hiding from God. They hide behind hobbies. They hide behind uh, you know, so many various things. They go out with their buddies and they do things that they shouldn't do and they're hiding themselves. They come in and, 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 and they leave again because they're hiding themselves from the sharp tongue of their wife. You know, men a lot of times are they're afraid because, because they, you know, the wife doesn't realize how much damage. And I can say this with the children as well. You know, men come in, well, I'm too tired to do anything with my child. I'm too tired to, I'm too tired to, to play with them. And you go, go ask your mother about this. What they're doing is they're just simply, they, they, they don't have enough self-esteem. They don't think they can do anything right because they've been told over and over and over again they can't do it. They made their bed, yes. But a lot of times wives fail their husbands because they don't give them the opportunity to get things better. I'm not picking on anything. I'm just telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight. It all started there in the garden, and it's not stopped. Men are still hiding themselves. God tries to strip us naked so that we'll, just, we'll see what our, our problems are. But instead, we run. We can't take it. I can be honest with you. You know, I remember, I remember the first time I was in my 20s and... You know, I was raised, when I, when I was being raised, it was raised that women still, still stayed at home. You know, what, what work they did, they did in the factory. They didn't do anything else. That's how I was raised. I got a job, and, and I was working up to a position at, at Lake Monroe, and they brought a woman with an education from Purdue in and took the job that I should have got. You know, and you know, I see you stand there, and you, 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 the first thing I want to do is run and hide. 
this is not the way it's supposed to be. I worked hard. I knew what I was supposed to be doing. It didn't make any difference. The role of women has started to go the other way. And some of you will, you know, I, you will think you don't agree with me. That's fine. I don't have any problem with women working. You can work. You can be firefighters, bullfighters, whatever you want to do. I don't care. But I'm saying that with men, there's still a God-given role which has been stripped from them. And they don't know what to do. So what do they do? They hide. Enough of that. Enough of that. You know, we have to deny self, quit hiding, and depend on God. Romans 6 speaks of our co-death with Christ. Romans 7 speaks of the battle between the new and the old nature. And Romans 8 speaks of victory that is ours through the Holy Ghost. What kind of person may know God's will? One who God has delivered from his own brain power. Romans 12.2 tells us our mind must be renewed. A person may continually confess how wrong his flesh or natural life is, and yet all the while cherish his thoughts and opinions, even though he admits his weakness with his mouth. In his heart, he's still full of his own thoughts and cleverness. He considers his view to be superior to that of others and his way to be better than that of others. You deal with your natural self and let an impartation of God's will and gifts happen. That's what you have to do. You deal with your natural self. I want you to stand with me. I want you to hold your hands. I want you to raise your hands tonight. Just raise your hands separately. I want you to close your eyes. I'd like for everybody in the house, if you would, to do this. And I want you to let the Spirit move through you. And when you do, I want you to receive some of the spiritual depth and the gifts that you've been seeking. But that comes only, only through a desire to place yourself on the cross. And I want you to begin to raise your voices with me right now together. Lord Jesus, God, I know that all things are possible to them that believe. And God, what I have said tonight, I know, Jesus, that you have directed, that you have dictated. And I pray right now that each and every one, as I release faith over this congregation, I release faith in the name of Jesus. Let some of them that have continued to ignore the cross finally make their approach tonight and quit denying Jesus their need to be crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right now, Jesus, let us lay ourselves, God, obediently, not through pushing, not through a desire of someone else, but through our own personal desire. Not, God, because I have to, it's because I want to. God, let us lay ourselves on that cross. Let us lift up. Let some people feel, Lord Jesus. Let them feel a renewing. Let them feel, God, what you're going to do for them this coming year. Let them feel, Jesus. Jesus, how you're going to touch them, lift them, strengthen them, and be with him. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, I lay myself obediently on this cross tonight. I lay it obediently on this cross tonight. I lay myself.
Somebody's doing it right now in Jesus' name. They're approaching the cross that has been designed for you. And it may hurt for a short time, but what happens when you get off that cross is going to be worth every moment of the pain that you may have to endure. Because there's nothing like the goodness and the graciousness and the love and the mercy that you can receive after you've gone through your time on the cross. After you've entered your wilderness, whatever it may be, you'll never understand until you do. We're going to have to put away self. We're going to have to lay self on the cross. Our desires, our arrogance. Hear me. Our arrogance, our lack of humility. Our talents, they're going to have to be laid on the cross so that we can come out of this in a spiritual manner, in a way that God has designed for us. Not in the way that we think, but in the way that God has designed for us. It's the only way that God can ever get something good is for us to lay it down, lay ourselves down on the cross. The only way for you to be a true Christian to see the results that you'd like to see in your life. I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about each and every one. To see the kind of life that you really want, you've got to lay yourself on the cross. You've got to lay yourself on the cross. Oh, Mm, let's raise our hands one more time. In the Bobilian Old Rovri Shuro Kuri Melitru Shekai. Oh, hello. See all of you, Lord. Someone in the middle right here in front of me. I, I got my eyes closed, but I. You've been on the cross several different times. And you, you have felt a, a death, if you would. But every time there's been a resurrection of self. Maybe not to the extent that it once was, but every time. God's calling you one more time. And this time will be your last time. This time will be your last time. In this middle row. This will be your last time. And in it you're going to find yourself. You won't be worried anymore. The fear that you have. The family turmoil. It may still be there, but it will never affect you again. The words that you speak after this last time on the cross, this time of pain, is going to be something that's... Whatever problems you, you encounter, you're going to have words for it. You're going, to, you're going to have soothing words. Your prayers are going to be answered, and people are going to come to you because of the power of your prayers. They're going to see it in you. They're going to see the crucified Christ in you. 
They're asking you one more time. In fact, this is your third time. You know the other two. I want you to receive this in Jesus' name. I feel this so strongly. I feel this so strongly. Let's love the Lord just a little bit more. Let's love Him just a little bit more. Jesus. Feel different. If that happens, I want you to let me know. I want you to tell me. You're going to be the same. That arrogant, self-serving person is going to be left on the cross. Going to be left on the cross. Mm. Turn to shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell them you love them. You're dismissed in Jesus' name if you want to be.